Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob and I am so glad to be with you. You know, I have special guests on all the time and I love to introduce them and I celebrate them, but lately I've been wanting to do some solo work. So I'm going to do a two-part podcast on Out of the Doghouse, a relationship-staving guide for men caught cheating. I wrote a book about it, I have a course about it, and let me tell you the truth, no man I've ever met understands how to heal cheating in a woman. So that is what this is about. It's about what happens when a man cheats on a woman and how that relationship can be moved forward. So please enjoy this and there will be a part one and a part two. Okay, so we're going to have a lecture on Out of the Doghouse, which is a book that you guys know I wrote. And the purpose of this lecture is really to help you understand and gain insight and have empathy for how your spouses and partners are affected by what we have done. And I'll just say something before we start is that you have to understand that men and women are different. And men have the ability to separate sex from intimacy. You know, we can go out in the world and go to a, get a strip club or whatever it is and go home and not think it had anything to do with our relationship. But if we go home and tell a, a spouse, a female spouse in particular, she's going to say, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about you. How could be doing this? And of course, we're thinking, I just went to the strip club with the guys. What's the big deal? Because we don't necessarily relate it to an emotional experience. And sometimes, you know, our heads are like, what are they so upset about? And then let's say something like, well, I thought you loved me. If you love me, why would you do this? And, you know, we're kind of like, well, what is my loving to you? Loving you have to do with going to a strip club. So the bottom line is we don't tell them. And I think we don't tell them because on some level we understand what that will do and how they'll act. So we keep it a secret. And by the way, if you have a male partner, it's interesting because if you go home and tell your male partner you've been acting out sexually, he will more likely say, oh, well, how come you got to do that? And I didn't. How come you were having all this fun and I was home, you know, whatever. So men will respond differently to betrayal, but betrayal is still betrayal. You know, you break the plate, you can glue it back together, but the crack will always be there. And that's a great way to see it. So I'm going to briefly go through this. You know, what is infidelity when we're dealing with porn and webcams and virtual sex and chatting with exes on Facebook and, you know, going on Instagram and looking at images and all of that stuff. And I define cheating in the digital age as, age as the keeping of profound secrets 
from a primary partner. And what that means to me is, is that it isn't just about sex. You know, the sex is upsetting to our partners. They really don't like it. They don't like being cheated on. They don't like being lied to. But what they hate more is that they've lost trust in us, that they don't know who we are. They'll say things like, when you go out the door now, I don't know what's going to happen. They used to think that you would be the last person who would ever go out in the world and knowingly cause them harm. You know, you're their spouse. You're the one who's going to have their back. And once they know that you can go out in the world and deliberately with thought cause them harm, the relationship is never going to be the same. It may be different, but it's never going to be the same. And the primary problem is not about the, the sex or the behavior. It could be money that you're taking out of the relationship and they don't know about. It's the lies, the secrecy, the lack of trust, and the uneven power structure where we seem to feel like, oh, I get to make decisions about the relationship, but I'm going to leave them out which of course means that we're up there and they're down here and we have set it up that way. So from the sex and porn addicts experience, I'm going to start with a little clip from Fatal Attraction. And it does go back to the 80s and all that, but it is really the best visual I've seen of what happens when a man is caught cheating and a woman has to come to terms with it in that moment. Okay. She's asleep. Did you call the police? Not yet, no. Why not? Honey, we gotta talk. What is it? I know who did this. girl who uh, came to the apartment, the one I met in the Japanese restaurant. The one with the blonde hair. Watch her dawning awareness of what's happening and where she goes to with this. Her face. You're scaring me. She's pregnant, and now the rage. 
That's what she says. <sighs> this is what you got. Get out! I want you out of here! I want you out of this house! And I want you out now! How could you do that? I hate you! I don't want to hear it! I don't want to hear anyone! Please, just listen to me, will you, Beth? Please, please, listen to me. What is the matter with you? And they both look back and they see their child observing this entire experience, terrified, looking down, not knowing what the heck is going on. Um, she just got out of bed for something, and there this is. So one of the things important to me to go, and the reason I put this up here, was I wanted you to look at how unfair he is to her in this scene. You know, it kind of looks like he's doing everything right, but he's doing everything wrong. So let's start with he is still lying. If you've seen the movie, and if you haven't, I can tell you that he didn't just sleep with her. He had an affair with her. It went on for a while. He had feelings about her. And believe me, at some point, she's going to figure that one out. But at the moment, he just said, well, I had sex with her, um, which is a lie. His primary goal is to get her to forgive him. He says, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I really love you. You know, which is, by the way, not comforting to her. And it isn't really true in the sense that he never meant to hurt her, because if he never meant to hurt her, he wouldn't have done it in the first place. And note that when you ask someone for forgiveness, what you're doing is you're asking them to take their focus off themselves and put it on you. And how long has she known about this? Like five minutes or five seconds? And he immediately doesn't want her to process it. He doesn't want her to deal with it. He doesn't want her to come to terms with it because he doesn't want her to get angry at him. So he moves in very slickly and says, oh, you know, baby, won't you forgive me? And I've always loved you and all of that manipulation. And if you notice watching the scene, does he come up to her and say, you know, I got to tell you this, I had an affair? No. What he does is, and what could be more scary in a relationship, right? He's staring out, looking in the rain, and he turns to her and he says, we've got a problem. And then he says nothing. What would that do to you when someone you love says, we've got a problem? It's terrifying. And then he doesn't go over to her and say, let me tell you what the problem is. He stands there and looks at her and waits for her to say, what is it? What is it? Did you have an affair? And then he kind of looks it up her like, yeah, that's what I did. So what? You know, there's a kind of look of, I don't know, like, like, um, yeah, that's the deal. You know, I, I can't say it any other way. And why should she have to drag this out of him rather than him? So there isn't a man there. There's a little boy who's saying, OK, well, if you ask me, mommy, what happened to cookies? I guess I have to tell you, I took them out of the drawer, you know. He has no sense of what he has brought into this home, the hurt, the harm, the fear, the uncertainty, how this is affecting his child, having watched that. He doesn't, he's only focused on himself. He's focused on her forgiving him, getting through this, and moving on as quickly as possible, which, while understandable, shows absolutely no empathy for her. He's only thinking of getting out of how bad this really is, right? So... How do we treat our spouses when we are cheating? How do we look at them and what, we, what do we do to them like he just did to her? Well, one thing is we diminish and devalue our partners and we distance ourselves from them because it's much easier for us to tolerate how badly we feel and the hypocrisy we're living with when we make them the problem. So they're fat, they're gain weight, they're not giving me all this attention, I'm not happy in the relationship, and all that stuff we tell ourselves which, as you know, if you were unhappy, you could go for a walk or divorce. The obvious answer to being unhappy in a relationship is not to go have an affair. But the way you can go have an affair and tolerate that emotionally is by blaming your spouse as not giving you enough for all of that. 
we will feel ourselves, which is kind of true when we're cheating, to be in charge of the reality of the relationship. That's what our secrets allow us. They allow us to be one up over our spouse so that we control the information and we let them know what we've done, where we've done, how we've done it. I was late because of work. I you know, had to pick this up. I have to leave for, you know, to go do whatever. And they believe us, you know, so we are in charge of managing the relationship before we get caught in a way that allows us to do what we want to do without them challenging us. Because we always have a good reason why we can't be there. or We have to go somewhere else or we're late or something like that. We... And I see this a lot with the people I treat. It's not my fault. You know, it's her fault. It's the kid's fault. It's the family's fault. If she only did this, if she only did that, and or if he only did this or he only did that. And what that leads to for us is one of the biggest concerns for me with an addict. And one of the things that drives us to act out is entitlement. I deserve to do this. After all, She's like this and he's like that. And I'm not getting this and I'm not getting that. So I deserve to have something for me. And look, there's that person who wants to have sex with me. There's all that porn. I can do that to make myself feel better. But the, the problem is I'm entitled to it and I deserve it. So by devaluing the partner and building up our case against them, we become more and more entitled to do whatever we want to do sexually. When we're caught, we're terrified of being abandoned. So at that time, we get seductive, we look, you know, so regretful, we lie, we blame, we, you know, it wasn't me, it was that other person, or we manipulate, because we don't want them to move away from us. And it's always been fascinating to me that when we're acting out, we can say, oh, my spouse isn't this, and my spouse isn't that, and, you know, I'm not even sure this is going to work out, because that validates our, our entitlement. But let that spouse move an inch away from us, like I don't want to be with you or I'm not happy in this relationship and I'm moving away or I want you to move away. And boy, do we realize how important they were and how scared we are because we can tell ourselves they don't matter while we're acting out, but have them really approach us and say, I want to move away from you. And we get terrified because we do not want to be abandoned. In fact, we are so fearful of abandonment that one person isn't good enough. It has to be two or three or five for the porn to keep us you know, distracted or whatever that is, we're much more vulnerable than we see ourselves as being. One of the problems in our relationships when we are acting out sexually and romantically is that our needs, our wants, and our desires come before our relationships and our family. I hear this constantly. Well, and then this seems maybe trite, but it's so true. Why doesn't he just come home and help with the dishes? Why doesn't he help with the laundry? Why does he just come home and, you know, get on his computer or whatever it is? Why doesn't he make dinner? And I know, or, you know, whatever it is. And I know that some of you do that um, and you're very involved, but oftentimes it's because they say to us, well, when are you going to do this? And why aren't you doing that? In other words, they, they end up nagging us to do things that we should just automatically be doing because any good partner would. And then we say to ourselves, oh, my God, they nag me all the time. Look at them. Another way to point the finger at them when the reality is we're not doing our job and we're not fully participating because we don't want to. We would rather go to do the things that we do. And I can think of a simple example where my spouse is upstairs cooking dinner and he or she says, hey, dinner's ready. And I say, thank you, but I got all this stuff to do on the computer and you don't realize how important work is. And, you know, I'll be up there later. And that's not the right answer. <laughs> there isn't anything that should come before what is meaningful in our family life, 
our home is our foundation. And when we say, well, work is more important or whatever is forget the sex, we're sitting here saying, you know, you don't matter. What you did for me doesn't matter. What matters most is what I feel like doing. And, you know, are they ever going to want to show up and offer us, you know, a warm meal and laundry again? I wouldn't. This is a very important point. We confuse intensity with intimacy. We confuse intensity with intimacy. We think if we're having hot sex and that person's all over us and we're the only thing that they can think about and we're texting and we're calling or it's that porn that we're constantly engaged with that makes us that somehow that feels like completion or it feels like a connection or it feels like something that makes us feel complete. But that's not intimacy. Intimacy is not about sex. Sex comes as a result of intimacy. We think that when we're out there doing this really intense things that our needs are being met. The reality is, is our needs, our needs can only be meaningfully met inside of an intimate relationship, which is one where we are vulnerable and we are open and we are showing up for it and we're inviting our partners in. And of course, when we're acting out sexually or romantically, we're doing the opposite, which is we're keeping them out. And we're not letting them get close to us. And we're pointing to something else as the place we're going to get our needs back. We don't understand broken. We don't understand what we've done to our partners. We think of it as we cheated or we let them down or we had an affair. We see it in terms of the sexual issue. We don't understand that when trust is violated, it's violated. You don't trust someone some Trust is a black and white issue. I either trust you or I don't. I'm beginning to get toward trust or I've dropped it all together. But I don't just sort of trust you or, and this is how we think about it in this particular line, well, I know I have been cheating. I know I've been looking at all this porn. I know I haven't been available to the family, but it was just the sex. I mean, in every other way, I was reliable. I was responsible. I showed up for the things I needed to. I paid the bills. I was there when the, the kids needed that or we needed a vacation or whatever. So surely you could trust me except in the area of sex and cheating. And the reality is you cannot parse trust. And when you break trust in one area, it becomes a universal breaking of trust. Then they don't believe anything we have to say because we violated such an important thing that it leads them to wonder what else is not true. And they will be looking for that. They'll be thinking about that. And they certainly won't believe anything that we have to say. And finally, we gaslight them. And if you're not aware of what that means, it simply means that we are telling someone that their reality isn't true. So, they say, you know, I thought you were going to be home at this time tonight. And I seem to remember you're saying that. And that's why I did this or that. And we say, no, no, I didn't. I never said I was going to be home at 630. You knew I was going to let work late tonight. Of course, all the time we know that we said we're going to be out till 630 or till yeah, we that we said that. But when we're confronted with it or we're two hours late, you know, we just go back to them and say, you must have misheard it, you know, or uh, I never said I was going to be away for I never said it was just going to be away for Saturday. I mean, I had a business appointment. I was gone all weekend. You knew that. And of course, they don't know that. And they, what happens is they begin to doubt themselves. Is what I'm seeing true? I, I seem to feel this way, but then I get different information. So maybe I'm wrong because they're still in a place of trusting us. And we leave them doubting our, themselves and doubting themselves. And so instead of mistrusting us, they begin to mistrust themselves. And by the way, that's a way to drive someone crazy. When you say over and over again that what you see and what you feel isn't true, they will slowly lose their minds. 
So some of our early boundary problems in terms of cheating and infidelity and sexual acting out or porn is we expect forgiveness. You know, it's been 90 days. It's been three weeks. It's been, you know, we've worked through this. I'm, I'm doing the things I need to do. Why aren't you acting toward me better? Why aren't you feeling better toward me? And part of that is in part being a man and not understanding that this isn't something that simply goes away, especially in women, because they see an emotional bond having been broken and they see the whole thing as being broken. They don't think that, well, we just cheated and therefore we should be able to get over it as we do. We, they see it as, if I can't trust you here, then I can't trust you anywhere. And what about the family? What about our friends? And what about our home? And to them, this is everything. It's a much bigger picture issue inside of them than it is inside of us. And so very quickly, because we're feeling better and it's been a while and we're feeling at peace, why don't they forgive us? And that's about us and our expectations and what we want of them, not the reality of what they're going through. We expect them to be more understanding and it wasn't really that big a deal and I really did love you, so why are you so angry and why are you so hurt? And we have all kinds of ways to try to frame what we've done as they're too upset, they're too overwhelmed, they shouldn't be acting and feeling this way. And of course, that infuriates them because again, once again, we are devaluing and dismissing their reality. Only now they can point at you did this and they're right. And so now all of that maybe I don't understand is gone because now they can say, oh, I get why I've been feeling so crazy because you've been doing this. And that does not leave them feeling more understanding or less angry. We want them to get over it. We want them to calm down. We want them to treat us more nicely. You know, after all of how, how sad we feel about it and how hurt we feel about it and how much we didn't mean to hurt them. And so, you know, don't they get that? Don't they understand how much we didn't mean to hurt them? So if they understood that, maybe they would get over it. Maybe they would calm down. And of course, we don't have any idea or understanding of what they're going through and how long it's going to take for them to feel better. We want validation from them for doing the basics that you should do in a relationship. Now I understand, oh yeah, I do need to do the laundry. I do need to help with family. I do need to go to church with you guys. I do need to you know, show up for your business meetings or whatever that is. And we do that because it makes things better and it makes them feel better. But we also want to be cheered for, oh, thank you, honey. And it's so great that you've been involved with the family. And now you're really this and that. These are just basic things that we should have been doing all along. But we want them to cheer for us because we finally showed up for the family. And, you know, look how hard I'm working on our relationship. No, you're just doing the things that you should have been doing in the first place. Not to mention the fact that now that you've hurt and upset me and violated, violated our relationship, maybe you could do a little extra without my asking you or begging you or you wanting me to cheer for you just because you contributed and put the other things that were important to you down for us. We will say, if you just forgive me or have sex with me, I will give you disclosure. I will give you the information. I will, you know, act in a better way. But first, you got to promise you're going to forgive me or you have to start being sexual with me. Or in other words, we make it a bargain whether we're going to do disclosure or act in the right ways based on what we want. And boy, does that make them miserable. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. 
For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com. Or call us at 747-234-4325. And of course, the worst thing we can do, or one of them, is to continue to lie and continue to keep secrets. We think, and I really, you know, this is one of, I think, the most frustrating things for me is there's this thought in us like, there's this one thing that I don't want to tell them. And there's always one. There's always, if they found out about that, that would be the devastating thing. That would be the overwhelming thing. And the thing is, like, that may not be it at all. It may be something completely different. It's often the thing that we are most ashamed for. And then we don't want to tell them because we project onto them that that will be the thing they will be the most upset about. But the reality is we have no idea. And likely it's the whole thing. And the worst thing we can do is withhold information because when they find, find out, it's not going to be pretty and understand that maybe when they find out that the things that they didn't know a year from now, everything is going to go right back to where it was in the beginning. Only it's going to be worse because now they thought things were getting better and they weren't. And so why would they ever believe that things are getting better when they thought they were last time? And the last thing I think that we do that is really awful is we want to seduce them back into not knowing. It's like, well, it was just once and I didn't really mean it. And, you know, I think what you saw wasn't exactly what it was. And it was really just, you know, this and not that. And we want to sort of hypnotize them with our words and our actions to make them feel like it wasn't as bad as they feel it was because it would make us feel better if they didn't. So what is the problem here? What are we doing wrong? What do we need to fix? And here's a start. You know, we need, well, we need to understand that we've been living in a world where we felt like we had control over reality. As I said earlier, we knew the secrets. We knew where we were. We knew what we were doing. And we only told our partners and spouses and the people important to us the parts that we wanted them to hear. Or we made up stuff because that's what we wanted them to hear. And so we are used to having control over the relationship. And when they find out what we've been doing, we're not in control at all. I mean, we are out in the doghouse. They're in charge. The equality that should have been in the relationship was never there in the first place because we knew the information and we doled it out as we wanted to based on what we wanted or didn't want to happen. But equity has not been restored because our partners know now they have the choices. Now they are in charge. Now they have put us out in the doghouse and, you know, we don't like being there. We don't want to be here, but there, but trust me, we deserve to be there. You know, the right thing to do in these situations, when we have violated someone, we have lied to someone, when we have not truly been the person that we needed to be, or we've done things that were really hurtful, like sex and porn addicts do. Um, We shouldn't have to be begged or nagged or complained into going to therapy and treatment and doing the work. We shouldn't have to beg them to not do disclosure or tell them we're not ready or we think that would be hurtful. Because we'll say things like, well, you know, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm already doing all the things you want me to do. So what else do you want from me? Or don't you understand? I'm doing all this good work. I'm going to therapy and couples work. And why aren't you really pleased and encouraged by what I'm doing? We want them to like give us a stamp that we're doing the right thing. This is the right thing. We shouldn't have to ask them this. We shouldn't have to, you know, when I do consultations, it's, you know, I get online with a couple for two hours and maybe some of you have done that. And one of the things that blows my mind is that 
we don't really have any concept of what they're truly going through. We just don't get it. And we look at them like, you're the crazy person because look how crazy you're acting. And we look like the kind of calm, I didn't mean it, I'm doing my best, you know. And they look like the crazy person when actually we have driven them crazy. Our spouses are the frog in the boiling water. It, you know, if you drop the frog in when the water's boiling, they'll jump right out. But that's not our spouses. We lure them over time into believing the way we're doing things, what we mean, what we say is true. And we, we teach them and we mold them and we manipulate them. But things are getting worse and worse. They feel more alone. They feel more distant. They feel more disconnection. And we say, well, I don't understand what the problem is. I'm just working harder or whatever that is. And we feel like, well, I'm doing all these things you want me to. So why are you still upset with me? We don't want to give up that control. We see the fact that we're doing these things as being enough. Get off my back. I'm going to therapy. I'm doing treatment. You keep nagging. You keep complaining. What more do you want from me? Well, what they want for us is humility. They want us to understand that this is a, not something that we need to debate. This is something we need to do without even being asked, which you would do if you realized how much trauma and pain you have caused not still in the bargaining game of it's not that bad and why won't you give me a break and all that kind of stuff. In the beginning, and I think some of you have heard this, our pain and our upset is narcissistic. We don't really understand what they've been through, but we sure understand what we're going through. And so when we do feel shameful about what we've done, it sounds like I can't believe I did this and I don't want them to look at me this way. And, you know, they're never going to love me in the same way. And I can't believe how much I've hurt them and what a terrible person I am. And, and as you hear here, it's like, I, 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 you know, me, 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 me. And that is not empathy. That is a bid for you to feel bad about me or for me to feel bad about me. Empathy sounds like, I can't believe you've been through this. Or I can't even imagine how hard this is for you. Or I don't even know what it's like for you to be with your family and not want to tell them because you don't want to go to Thanksgiving with me next year and have them know. So you're sitting there with this all by yourself. That's empathy. What have my kids missed out on? Well, I was out doing this and I wasn't supporting you. That's empathy. All this stuff about, I wish I hadn't done this and I really fucked up and I'm such a bad person. That's just shame. And it actually is a mirror back to ourselves. It doesn't allow us to look clearly at what the people we love are suffering from and what we've caused them because we're so busy saying I'm a piece of shit. Now let's talk about a little bit what they're going through. So their emotional state, and you really have to understand this is what they're feeling and going through emotionally. They can't help it. It's not their fault. It's like a truck hit their firstborn. You can't just say, oh, well, you know, I'll take the kid to the hospital and they're sure they'll be okay. And I just need to be calm. Your kid gets hit by a truck and you're like, oh my God, you're going to freak out. And that's where they are. They are completely and utterly devastated and confused and overwhelmed and, and misunderstanding of what has happened. And we completely underestimate what we have done. So what does it look like? Our spouses are going through trauma. We call it betrayal trauma. Traumas are things like being in war, going through an earthquake, having someone die unexpectedly. That's trauma. This is the same thing. What they thought they were doing, what they thought they were in, what they thought they were, we were experiencing, they are now being told that was a complete lie. 
And everything, and by the way, spouses will say, everything that I thought we shared is a lie. And everything I think that we share now is a lie. And everything that might happen in the future is probably a lie. So I don't believe in any of it because they are traumatized and they have by us and they have lost their sense as they should of what is true and what isn't. Not only because we've done what we've done, because oftentimes we've told them a little and then we've told them a little more and then we've told them a little more until they are completely unable to to believe in us or what they're being told to believe. They are ashamed and self-hating and self-doubting. I've heard, and you've heard in so many of their letters that they write to us, that we leave them feeling like there's something wrong with their bodies. We leave them feeling like they're not good enough. We leave them feeling like they should have known. We leave them feeling like if they'd only been more of this or only been more of that or only looked more this way or acted that way, that we never would have done this. And of course, what they don't understand about sex and porn addiction is they they could have danced on the head of a pin and it wouldn't have mattered because we were going to do what we were going to do, but they don't know that. And by the way, we reinforce that because it's easier on us if we say, well, yeah, if you'd been a little thinner and if you'd been a little more available and if you hadn't spent all that time at work, we want them to feel responsible for what we did because it takes the pressure off of us, not knowing, I hope, that they're already in that place of self-hatred because they believe, as you would, that somehow they could have made this different. They are filled with anxiety. It doesn't take much. We can be reading a magazine and all of a sudden they're right back where they were because a woman is on the cover. You know, we're watching a movie and there's an emotional experience between two men. You know, I'm a gay guy and I cheated my partner and they're looking at me like, you saw those two men together. You're probably fantasizing and you're probably want to have sex with them. You know, they go, they're hypervigilant. They take situations which may not have anything to do with their acting out in our mind and maybe truthfully and they explode with them because it reminds them there we are looking at someone as we're going to the grocery store we only need to look for a minute and they are in there you go again here we are all over again and we can say well i was just looking at them you know i'm attracted people it isn't they don't believe us and this is why by the way the only thing we can do is fall on our sword and own their experience which is You know, I really wasn't looking at them in that way, but it doesn't matter because I can completely understand how after everything we have been through, you would think that I have. And I don't have any ground to stand on in letting you know that it isn't what you think it was, because if it isn't what you think it was this time, it probably was what you think it was a year ago. So even if this isn't what I was doing this time, it isn't like I really get to say to you, oh, you're wrong, because they probably were right a hundred times ago and they just didn't know it. Our partners are worried about the future. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our family, our kids, if you have them, what's going to happen to our relationship within our community, within our church, in the workplace. They are worried about the whole big picture. Who's going to know? Who doesn't know? Who do I talk to? Who do I not talk to? How are we going to parent our kids? If you, if you are, how are we going to take care of my old mother? If this is going on, what are we going to do about our finances? If we aren't together, will I have the resources to survive? You know, can I ask them to leave? Can we separate? Is that acceptable? If we separate, are they going to go back to acting out? I'm worried that I'm going to influence them in a negative way. They are worried about everything. And what are we worried about? 
well, we have to go to these therapy sessions and, oh, they're so angry at us and, oh, I don't get to act out. If you make a comparison between what we're going through and what they're going through, for us, it's like I stubbed my toe for them. It's like they lost control over their body. I mean, it's such a huge thing for them. and We just don't get it. And thus, the point of this lecture, they have intrusive thoughts and images. They think things are true that aren't. I'll give you an example, and it may sound silly, but it's true. We get erections, men get erections in the morning up to a certain age. And the reason we wake up with erections is because we release the most uh, testosterone in the mornings. So I had an experience where I worked with a couple and this guy said, I don't get it. I woke up with an erection like I often do. And my wife looked at my erection and she said, yeah, you're thinking about her again. I didn't, I'm up not sleeping all night and you're lying there dreaming about her. I can tell because you've got a heart on and she smacked him across the face. Now, he wasn't really thinking about much of anything, but it didn't matter because for her to see that and experience that led her right back to you're getting aroused about something that I'm not involved in. And therefore, you must be going right back to where you were. And of course, what do we say to that? You know, it isn't okay to hit me, which it isn't. But I can understand how just seeing me aroused would leave you feeling like I'm back at it again. And I don't have any way of convincing you that isn't true. All I can say is I'm working as hard as I can on making things better. They're going to think what they're going to think. They're going to be looking at every single situation to see where they're going to be not knowing things. What am I miss this time? And they're going to take things, as I said, to an extreme where if you are 10 minutes late, they're going to immediately assume you're back at it because you used to be late when you were doing it. And now you're late because you went to pick up groceries and there was traffic. It doesn't matter. You were late. And if you didn't call them and say, I'm at the grocery store and take a picture of the, you know, of the soda that's on sale, they're going to think you're lying again. And you do not get to get, come home with all the groceries and say, you don't understand. There was traffic. And I was doing the right thing. You asked me to get the groceries. I got the groceries. Why are you angry at me now? Well, the reason is because you were late before. When you were late before, you were out there doing your thing. And so when you're late now, they don't believe you. And of course, the answer to that in terms of doing the right thing is it doesn't matter whether I was uh, late or not now because of the groceries. We say to them, what matters is I let you down so many times already that I can understand that you would think that. And even though that isn't true, and I am working as hard as I can on this, you know, you get to be angry, you get to be upset, you get to believe whatever you believe. And I guarantee you, it's not going to be a good night. But nonetheless, you have to fall on your sword and say, I understand that you must feel this way based on what's happened in the past. We have to, in our minds, keep the whole picture in mind, not just what's happening right now or what happened last week, but the bigger picture of what it's like for them to realize that after five years or 12 years, whatever, or having thought that things were better, that we're, they're right back where they were. And for them, it's like, I got fooled you're right back into that. And I should have known when you came back from the store late that you were doing it again. Sometimes our spouses will act out. They will act out with rage. They will come depressed. They become depressed. They won't want to leave their room. They may overeat. They may undereat. They may start drinking again. Or, you know, this is their trauma 
This is them moving backwards. In you know, They may act out like they did when they were kids. They may think I'm back in my childhood, which they're not. But this is all when you're in trauma. I'll give you an example. When kids have profound trauma, let's say grandma dies when they're five. That may be a kid who has learned not to wet their bed and how to take themselves to the bathroom and all that because they've grown older and they know what to do. But it isn't unusual when grandma dies for them to start wetting their bed again, because what happens when human beings go through a crisis is we regress. We go backward emotionally. So I completely understand why a spouse who has been sober might start drinking again. I completely understand why a spouse has been doing better, working through that trauma, all of a sudden feels completely and overwhelmingly traumatized because you lose your sense of self in a crisis when it has been acted out on you. Um, and believe me, we are not the victims here. They can yell at us. They can be angry at us. They can ask us to leave. They can treat us badly. They can tell everyone in our world what we did. And we are not the victims. They have been victimized by us. It doesn't mean that everything they do is useful or correct or helpful or kind. But we have to keep in mind that, that we did this to them. They didn't cheat on us. They didn't lie to us. They didn't keep secrets from us. They didn't go, you know, gaslight us. They may not have been the best partner we always wanted, but they didn't do this. And so we are responsible. And, you know, they if they start drinking again or whatever it is, they're going to need to find their peace with it. It was their choice. But we do need to keep in mind through anything that's going on what our part has been. You may see that your partners will become detectives. They are the best detectives in the world. They will read every single book about sex addiction. They will read every single book about porn problems. They will read every book on infidelity. They will watch the TV shows. They'll listen to the podcast. I have never been more popular since when I started a podcast on infidelity and addiction because the spouses find it right away and they're all over it because they want to learn. They want to understand. They have been hit by a board. And they don't want to be hit again. So they want to learn everything they can to make this better and to also understand how it would be that this could happen to them. And by the way, just to say it, I know this because I write self-help books. Who buys self-help books? Women do. 95% of all self-help books are bought by women or they're bought by women to throw at their guy. And I can understand this. And I want you to understand this, that they're not crazy and they're certainly not codependent. There's nothing wrong with them for wanting to pursue us, to know where we are, to follow, you know, to try to understand our thoughts, to try to get us to read books. All of it is an attempt to try to figure out what the hell is going on and how I can make this better or if I can. Hey, folks, I hope you've enjoyed listening to Out of the Doghouse Part 1 for you gentlemen who have cheated on a woman i think you should listen to this whole thing twice maybe three times or buy the book it's a tough painful awful thing to do to portray somebody that you care about and i don't think we always have a sense of what that means to the person we've harmed so i hope you listen to this and i'm looking forward to delivering part two hi this is dr rob again thank you for joining us today if this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity 
as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.